Well, good morning and welcome to LifePoint. On both of our campuses, we are in a summer series called At the Movies, where we're looking at some of the most popular movies where we are discovering biblical truths in unexpected places. Now, though we have the rights to enjoy these movie clips in the service, we also see that when we go to broadcast it, it'll get interrupted and often the content gets blocked. And well, that's just not a very good experience for you. And so what we've decided to do is go back and, and find some of the most well-received, impactful messages over the last year, and we're going to share those with you so that you can enjoy those uninterrupted. Now, if you would like to come and join us at, at the Movies, Plano at 9 o'clock, Rock Hill at 1030, we'd love to have you there. But thank you for tuning in with us, and I hope today's message is an encouragement. Well, good morning. One of the things I love about the topic we're going to really kind of get going today, this idea of crave, is we're really talking about grace. Because when we talk about grace, I love what Max Lucado, the author, says, grace is one of those things that everybody talks about, but you wonder if we actually know what it means. Like, every bank has a grace period. We look at dancers and we say, oh, they're just so graceful. Or an actor will say they are so gracious. Or a politician falls from grace. We use it in all of our language, but we wonder, do we know what it means? And so today we're beginning this brand new series called Crave, because here's what we know. We're all searching for something. And I contend that Scripture over and over suggests that what we're really in deserving the least is what we crave the most, grace. But what is it? What is grace? We use the word a lot. In fact, it's Philip Yancey who said it's the one last good word in the English language, meaning love has been hijacked and truth has been hijacked, but grace is still something we aspire to. Grace, but what is grace? Well, the truth is, we go through this series, we believe that grace is so important to get our arms around that it's better to understand it in the form of story than in the form of doctrine. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at different stories in Scripture that really define different aspects of grace, the thing we all crave the most. So each week, it'll be a, a different story. But in order to really understand it, we've got to back up a couple of steps. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to back up kind of pre-grace. And in help, to help us do that, I want to tell you a personal story that I am less than proud of in my own life. When several years ago I was driving, some of you have I've even told this story, but I want to tell it to everybody today. I, I was driving to, um, to LAX to catch a flight early one morning. Yeah, some of you know the story. So I'm driving there and I'm headed to the airport and it's, pitch, it's like four in the morning and, uh, and, and I'm actually going to fly to Texas to do a memorial here and I'm if I'm honest, I was going over the message in my head. You know, like kinda, you know how you do when you got something coming, you're kind of rehashing it in your head. And Siri tells me to turn right at this intersection, but I know there's another option that I would prefer so that I can keep kind of rehearsing this in my head. So I decide, well, I'm gonna turn right at the next intersection. And then all of a sudden I hear gravel underneath my car and I realize I'm now off-road. Now, I didn't feel this relaxed when I felt that. I just felt confused. And then the front end of my car went down into a ditch, hit and bounced back up, and I began to hear my car tear apart underneath. And then the, thank you, by the way, those of you who find this funny, it was very terrifying. <laughs> um, and then the front end of the car goes down again into another deeper ditch, and it bounces back up, 
continues to tear even more apart. And then I finally am able to break and I slide and there's this huge dust cloud. And I'm, yeah, thank you, thank you. And so I'm sitting there motionless and I smell like breakfast tacos. And I open my door and I have crashed into a cilantro field in Southern California. Danielle, you know where this Southern California cilantro field is. And so apparently this happens often, by the way, so you can stop judging me. I can see that you're doing that. The police later called me while I'm on the plane. He literally asked this. He said, "Uh, how fast were you going, sir? And so I knew. I said, well, what's the speed limit? And and he said, were you wearing your seatbelt? Yes. Were you listening to the radio? No. He goes, were you drinking? No. I'm actually sober, and I still did that. And he said, well, that actually happens a lot at that intersection for whatever reason. But what happened when I crashed, I looked around, and there was this massive mess of my car parts just sort of scattered behind me. And there were two ditches that kept me from being able to get the car out of the field if I could have driven it, which at this point the car doesn't drive. And I'm literally thinking, is there some way I can, I wish I could rewind 30 seconds and turn right when Siri told me to turn right, or I wish I could just kind of throw all the parts back into the car and just secretly drive away and never have to tell the story. But instead, I'm out there at 4 a.m. in the middle of a cilantro field by myself with parts of the car scattered everywhere. It just feels like this big mess. And you know what? The worst part is there was nothing I could do to fix it. I'm stuck there. So then I call my wife at 4 a.m. and wake her up because, you know, that's what... Uh, it's the only thing I knew to do. And, of course, she comes and picks me up and takes me to the airport. And then the light kind of comes up, and she goes back with a tow truck, a policeman, and the owner of the property. And my wife lovingly fixes that while I get on the airplane and fly away. That's not a demonstration of grace. That's just a demonstration of a really loving spouse. But what I want to describe is, as we think of grace, we've got to start with the mess. Because as bad as that was for me, There's also history's biggest mess. And that's what we've got to talk about because it's impossible to get our arms around this and to really understand how much this impacts you and me today. History's biggest mess. You see, as we start a conversation around grace, there's so much confusion and there's so much underappreciation of it, and I believe here's why. Because grace, like a bright star, is best seen against a dark sky. Without the dark sky, you don't see the brightness of grace. And we misunderstand the reality of the dark sky, and so we misunderstand the reality of grace. So in order to begin even a conversation about grace, we've got to go back to realize why grace is so needed in your life and in mine. Where's the dark sky? Well, the Bible records the dark sky in Genesis chapter 3. It often just calls it the fall, the original sin with Adam and Eve. One rule, the original sin. And in that moment, the world broke. And sin entered the human bloodstream. And we were forever poisoned in a way that we don't fully see or fully know because it's all we've ever known. We've never known a world without brokenness, without sin. It's a world like a fish and doesn't realize it's wet. We don't realize we're in a broken world. It's all we've ever known. It's all we've ever experienced. And so we forget just how bad it is. 
You say, well, Mark, what broke at the fall? What's so bad that it broke? Well, what broke the fall actually caused some permanent problems for all of us. Number one is the corruption of our souls. You say, what in the world, the corruption of our souls? Well, the reality is you tend to do bad. You tend to be selfish, just like me. And we don't have to look too far, do we? We look in the mirror, we look at our social media feed, we look on the news, we see the badness of humanity and what we all are capable of. Things just haven't changed. When we look at our own thoughts, our own deeds, our own words, our own actions, our own lust, our own uh, pride, our own greed, we look at our own bitterness, our own je- jealousy, our own corruption, it's in us all, isn't it? We don't, have to, we don't have to teach our kids to rebel. They just figured it out on our own. We don't have to teach them no. They just kind of figure it out. Why? Because of the fall, there is in all of us a corruption, the corruption of our soul. But here's the really bad part. There's nothing you can do about it. You and I aren't capable of fixing this problem. It's like we're trapped in the middle of a cilantro field with car parts all over our past and there's two ditches all around us and we're going, who do I call? What do I do? I can't fix this. It's still impacting us today. But that's not the worst news. The worst news and the bigger problem from the fall that impacts you and I is our uncertain standing with God. Do you realize prior to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve never went to bed at night wondering where they stood with God? Every day they walked with him. They not only knew he existed, they knew that he loved them. And they knew that he cared for them and they had intimate... There's a different reality because after Genesis 3, for the very first time, people begin to hide from God. And ever since then, we've been wrestling. And for the first time after Genesis 3, the human being asked this question. Where do I stand with God? And maybe you're new here today, you're not even sure you're into the church thing, or you're not sure you believe the Bible yet, you're kind of here checking things out, and you may be like many of us, and you sometimes wonder, is there a God? Is there a God I can really know? Is the God good? Does he love me? Can I trust him? That began as a result of Genesis 3. We have a wrestling with our standing with God. Who is he? How can I know him? It feels broken. It feels like I'm peering through a glass dimly. It's hard. And it began as a result of history's biggest mess. But now you've got to think of the other side of the coin because imagine what God must have felt when he walked onto the scene after God, who is the one who created uh, not only uh, Adam and Eve, and he created this great relationship, he created a perfect environment where they could enjoy the relationship as he wanted. When the world was exactly like he wanted, there was clarity. There was not corruption. And there was just one rule. Sounds like a pretty good world, doesn't it? But now, when the world has broken, all of a sudden, everything has changed. God shows up, Can you imagine what he must have felt? Like, what have you guys done? I I, I know what Ginger felt when she walked onto that scene, and she thought, what in the world has my husband done? There's a couple of different ways he could have gone. This wasn't one of the options. God shows up, and he goes, what have you guys done? What were you thinking? Do you ever wonder, how did God, or how could God have responded to history's biggest mess? No tow truck or could fix this. You think about how he could have responded. God could have said, you know what, I'm just going to ignore it. 
We're not going to have intimacy anymore. We'll just have a superficial relationship from here on out. We won't talk about that. Or he could have completely abandoned them and said, I'm done with you. Or worse yet, he could have destroyed them and started over. You ever feel like that's what you think God might be thinking about you? Like you know what you've done. You know what you're doing. You know what's in your heart. And sometimes do you ever feel like, is God ignoring me? Is he wanting to abandon me? Is he wanting to destroy me? Does he love me? Does he, I know he sees this. What does he think about this thing in my life? How does he feel about it? Well, I want you to see how God felt about what people were doing at the very beginning of creation. And can I just tell you in advance, it's not going to be very encouraging. I want you to see this in Scripture. It's in Genesis chapter 5. It's in verses or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. If you got your Bibles, this is the easiest book in the Bible to find because it's the very first one. There's a Bible there in the pew. You can find it. Look with us at chapter 6. I want us to look at verse 5 and 6. What I can tell you is, again, not very encouraging. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. As God comes upon the big mess... Scripture says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. That's hard to see, isn't it? We think about God being a God of love. We think of God as being a God of mercy. We think of our God as just being a forgiver. And we see a verse like this where it says, he regretted. And it's hard to read, isn't it? And this is before the cross. This is before the solution for the sin, before the solution for the big mess. But there is a paradox in God. And that is, he seems to be sick of human behavior while also being madly in love with humans. And this continued in humankind as they began to continue to drift away from God and as history continued to move forward throughout the centuries, God had an opportunity to ignore, to abandon, or destroy. And do you know what God's response was? Of all the ways you wonder how did God respond of all the ways God could have responded to this mess, this is where the story of grace began when God reached out to a human named Abram, who would later become Abraham. And we're going to see where this whole story began in the backdrop of this dark sky of brokenness that still impacts you and me, the story of grace is about to begin. But it's really important that you get this backstory because God chose to begin the story of grace by forming a nation. And he didn't overtake an existing nation or an existing tribe or even an existing family. He chose one person to form this new nation. And if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, as you read all throughout the Old Testament, you see the story of this new nation called Israel. And this new nation was formed specifically so the solution for the mess could finally be discovered. And so with this new nation, Israel, which was going to be formed with one person, 
Abram, who was going to eventually, through his family, multiply into a nation, according to God, there were certain, there were certain interesting profile about this nation. They would have the favor of God. You'll see that as you read throughout the Old Testament. You see, that doesn't seem fair. Well, they have the favor of God as they are moving toward God's plan of redemption to clean up the big mess. Not only that, but they would also have a one-sided covenant where God promised Abram certain things. He promised them they would become, they would have uh, children, they would multiply into a nation through whom the Messiah would come. But they also promised they would be the mouthpiece of salvation to the rest of the world where there were so many other gods that were being worshipped and followed and they would say, no, you're going to be a nation who has one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And finally, and this is the most important of this nation, it would be the nation that would produce the Messiah. So all that in one sentence, God chose Abraham to form a nation through whom the Messiah would come to clean up the mess. The mess that still impacts you and me. The new nation. So who is this guy, Abram, who later becomes Abraham? Well, here's the really good news. If you're retired here today and you think, man, I, the best days are behind me, just know this about Abram. He was an old man. He's in his 70s. When the journey, his greatest impact is about to begin, starts in his 70s. He's also a man who had no children, no legacy, no inheritance, and he also had no influence. There were very few people on Instagram following Abram. No platform at all. And he had no homeland. He is not a person of influence. And if you and I were choosing someone to create this epic story that people would be talking about thousands of years later, we would never choose that guy. And yet, here we are talking about that guy. Now, also, if you and I chose to co-write a book on the story of grace, I think we would start the story off right out of the gate. We would envision God taking a list of rules and handing them to Abram and saying, here's what you've got to do. Do these things, and then you'll receive grace, right? But this is where grace is so shocking because in grace, the recipient pays nothing. But the giver pays everything. And in this case, we see the uniqueness of grace. Grace is actually given by an invitation. In fact, grace didn't begin with an imperative, but an invitation. God looked to Abram and said, will you trust me? Now, this is really important because sometimes when we read the stories and scriptures, we make the people out to be the hero. And you know who's not the hero in the story? Abram. This is a guy who lies often, lied often, who dishonored his wife often, and who was not trusting of God often. Though I'm sure he's a good guy in the end and he has great examples of faith, I think it's important that we continue to let God be the hero of the story. And I can relate to this guy when I recognize who all he is, including the bad. He's an imperfect guy for sure. And yet God has invited him. So do you want to be part of the story of grace? It begins with this question. Will you trust me? So 
we begin the story. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to see it because Abram's story is recorded in Genesis 12 through Genesis 25, and we're just going to look at a couple of verses, but the very beginning of his story is recorded in Genesis 12.1. And just know this, when God asked Abram to trust him, he didn't ask him to trust him because Abram was like, hey, can you help with the traffic a little bit on the tollway? It's a little crowded. You know, okay, God, I'll trust you with that. It wasn't like, hey, I've got bad Wi-Fi. Can you improve it a little bit? It wasn't like I have bad cell service. Can you improve that a little bit? I want you to see what God was asking Abram to trust him with. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and you might be able to relate in your life with what God is asking you to trust him with in the same way. Look at Abram's story. It begins in Genesis chapter 12, and verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. Go from your people and go from your father's household to the land I, say that next word with me, will show you. Now that's, that just seems unfair, doesn't it? Like whenever I go and you go somewhere, we grab our phones and what was the thing that we plug into the GPS? We plug in the destination, right? We don't ever leave our driveway until we know the address of where we're going. That's common sense. It's the way a smart person does things. A logical person does it this way. And yet God is asking Abraham to leave when he doesn't yet know where he's going. It seems a little unfair, doesn't it? You see that. And that's going to be one of the ways in which God is asking Abram to trust him. And God seems to do this over and over throughout Scripture and over and over throughout histories. It's one of the great ways where trust is built. God loves his people, and he loves his church. And can you imagine God coming to a church and saying, I want you to make plans to leave your comfort zone, and I have yet to reveal exactly where you're going. Sound familiar, doesn't it? God has been doing that for thousands of years throughout history with his people. And each time it's an invitation to his people to do this, to trust him more. And each time, just like he looked at Abram and he loved Abram deeply, life point, God must love us deeply as he gives us this invitation again to trust him in a new and growing way. But if we're going to trust him, and I don't know what in your life you might be needing to trust him more in, if you're going to trust him, just know trust will always include unanswered questions i think about abram he, he has no idea where he's going he has no idea what the journey will include and what will be there when he gets there isn't that exactly how life is maybe you're there right now where you're wondering i, I, I don't know where i'm going to go to college i don't know when i'm going to get married i don't know if i'll get remarried i don't know if i'll get a better marriage i don't know if i'm going to have kids or how my kids are going to turn out or if my kids are going to come back i don't know how this this financial situation is going to turn out with my business i don't know how this is going to go with retirement i don't know if i have enough money to last me in retirement i don't know about this disease how it's going to progress in our family i don't know why god would allow this thing to happen and be present in our lives we all have unanswered questions don't we very much like Abram and in each case God is saying will you trust me here with the unanswered question as Ryan said in the middle of the mystery will you trust me here man this is hard isn't it but not only does trust include unanswered questions trust includes waiting 
Now, as an impatient person, I hate this part. I don't know if you do too, but this is a very difficult part. But think of Abram. Abram leaves the Ur of Chaldees or where his homeland is, and he's going all the way up eventually to the promised land. He goes all the way through the Mesopotamia region and all the way to this new Canaan, this new what will eventually become Israel. It's just this foreign land. Honestly, it's a massive, dangerous journey he's gone on. He started the journey in his 70s. He goes all the way to this dangerous place, and now he's sitting there not knowing anyone, not knowing the culture, not having any uh, promise fulfilled by God with children or this new nation, and yet God is continuing to say, trust me, trust me. You ever feel that way? Like, God, I'm doing everything you've asked me to do, and you continue to invite me to trust you? God, could you just throw me a bone? Could you just give me some kind of evidence that you're there? Could you speak up in some way that's tangible so I can point to and build confidence? And God seems to keep saying, trust me, trust me. And we fast forward the story three chapters to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, and finally God just gives him a little whisper, a little whisper, And I want you to see what he says to Abraham because I think he says it to all of us today. Look what he says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 in verse 1. He says, While Abraham doubts, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God said, Do not be afraid, Abram. Why? Because I am your shield, your very great reward I don't know about you I would prefer the children the nation and the promises being fulfilled but this is pretty good if I'm not if I'm going to have to wait God you're going to be my shield and God you are my ultimate reward and maybe some of you are here and you had that like childlike faith in your teens and now you're in the complicated world of adulthood and that faith isn't working here Or maybe you had a faith in a simpler season of your life where things seemed just to kind of be stable and comfortable and all of a sudden you're in this new place of loss or pending loss or hurt or disorientation. You didn't think life would quite have this kind of a curveball thrown at you and all of a sudden the faith isn't quite, yesterday's faith just doesn't seem sufficient for this and you feel the invitation from God, will you trust me here? And I hope you'll hear what God says to you as he said to Abraham. Do not be afraid. I am your shield and your very great reward here while you wait. While you wait. Well, Abraham did the most courageous thing of all, just like he did back in his homeland. He chose to trust God. He goes all the way forward. He trusts God again. And now something magical happens. Remember, one of the big curses of the fall is we don't know our standing with God. We feel a grayness there. I want you to see verse 6 of chapter 15. All of a sudden, as a result of his doubt in this dark sky, it says, Abram believed the Lord. He didn't believe the Lord because he was given some kind of clarity over the future. But he believed the Lord when he said he would be his shield when he said he would be his very great reward. So God, while I wait, you've promised to be with me? Okay, then I'll believe. Maybe that's our invitation today for some of us. While I wait, God, you've promised to be with me? Okay, then I'll trust. Then I'll believe. And then 
Here's the magical moment. Here's where it happened. It wasn't a list of rules. Remember, God's invitation, where grace begins, it's an invitation of, will you trust me? Abraham trust, and now watch the rest of the verse. Abraham believed the Lord, and God credited to him as, say that last word with me, righteousness. God credited to him righteousness. In other words, he had a righteous standing with God. Was it because he did something magical? Is it because he achieved, he was obedient? No, because he believed, because he trusted. The story of grace began in Abram's life only because he accepted God's invitation and he trusted. Now, isn't this so counter to everything that we know as a culture? Because we don't get great things like grace for free. Let's be real. Ever since we have grown up in this culture, I mean, we hear things like no pain, no gain, right? The early bird gets the worm, right? You get what you deserve. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You probably get what you paid for. Like, we know how this works. It's a pay transactional culture that we've grown up in. And all of a sudden, we read a story like this. And there's no transaction for us to contribute to. And it's confusing, isn't it? It feels too good to be true. But if we pause and we listen to the still, small voice of God, we begin to discover something even more profound about this. I not only am receiving something I can't earn, I'm also not getting what I deserve. Because the truth is, I deserve punishment, but I receive forgiveness. I deserve wrath, but I receive love. I deserve judgment, but I receive righteousness. Oh, grace, it can't be earned. It's what I least deserve, but what I crave the most. Abraham didn't achieve it. He just believed. He responded by saying, God, there's no evidence that produces that I should follow you, but I trust you here. I believe you are who you say you are. And in that moment, he had a right standing with God. Righteousness was his, and the story of grace began. Now, we have to start with the dark sky. It's not a fun thing to talk about, but all of us here know it's true. Because we have a front row seat to our heart, to our thoughts, to our words. And it's against that dark sky that we saw in Genesis chapter 3 that we see the problems caused by the fall. We talked about them earlier. They are the corruption of our soul and the uncertain standing with God. So here's my question. Why is the story of Abraham important to you? I mean, most people think it was at least 2,000 B.C. We're talking 4,000 years ago. Does it really matter, his story and your story? Because you're going to work tomorrow. You've got like a real job and real things to do this week. Why does a 4,000-year-old story matter to you? It's because you really are impacted by this original sin. You really do have the corruption of your soul, and you have a lot of evidence to prove it. But here's the really good news that the story of Abraham reminds us of is that grace provides a solution for the mess of my sin and your sin. You're not stuck in the cilantro field. There's a solution. Why else does the story of Abraham matter to you? 
Because like we said, we have this feeling that we have an uncertain standing with God. Is he real? Does he exist? Does he, could I know him? Is he good? Can I trust him? And grace, as we see through the story of Abram, provides crystal clear evidence that God wants a relationship with you more than your obedience. He wants a relationship with you. You know why this is so important? Because it's hundreds of years later when Moses receives the Ten Commandments. And then what that reminds us is that God loves to prove to you and to me he wants to be trustworthy to his people before he asks them to obey him. Hundreds of years later, the commandments begin. The law is given. But first, he just wants a relationship. He wants people to, to belong before they behave. To belong before they believe. Now, I'm not trying to diminish obedience. Obedience makes your life better. But it's important to know that he wants a relationship first. More than, And isn't that good news? Because the corruption of my soul keeps betraying me. I do things I don't want to do. I think things I don't want to think. I say things I don't want to say. And God keeps inviting me. In the midst of my knuckleheadedness, just like he did Abram, he keeps inviting me. Will you trust me? Not something you earn or you fix. Will you trust me? God keeps inviting you. Will you trust him? In this season, will you say, God, I can't fix this. I don't know the answer. I've been waiting too long, and I don't know the way forward. And God says, will you trust me? Will you have a new season of trust and surrender where you go to God open-handed again? And grace begins to wash again over your life, over your soul. Truth is, Grace was not only extended to Abram. Grace is extended to you and to me. And grace is what we most desire. But it feels so distant. Because it feels so foreign. Because we can see the mess. But grace begins when we just respond to the invitation. Now you might be here today. And I believe God responds with this question. Will you trust me? And I just want to ask you this, if you're not a Jesus follower and you're here today and you're just sort of wondering about it all, I just want to tell you, you might be tempted to think that you don't have it together enough. You might be tempted to think that you don't know enough. You might be tempted to think that, well, if you knew what I was doing, if you knew what I've done, if you knew my background, I, I don't know that I qualify or that I'm good enough. Can I just say you are amongst friends? Am I right? Yeah. Because all of us know, especially those who are brave enough to clap just now, they're like, God, I love your grace. And I'm not pretending that I can earn it or that I can fix it. I know who you are, God. And so if you're in that place where you're like, I just don't know, can I just invite you to consider that question God extends to you? Will you trust him? And if you would like to make that bold decision just like Abram did, just like many of us have made, I want to invite you after the service today, out in the main lobby, there's a welcome center. The staff, we're going to be there with our, our badges or name tags. We want to identify who we are so that you, we would invite you just to come up and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm thinking about making this decision to trust God. Can you tell me more? We really would love to help you on that journey, to put resources in your hands that you can go and consider taking that journey. But it all begins with that question, not something you do, but an invitation you accept. Will you trust me? Now, if you are a Jesus follower, you might be in a new place in your life, a new circumstances where 
man, you've never had to trust God with this stuff in your life. And yeah, you've trusted him in the past, but boy, what, look, look around. Look at your family, look at your finances, look at your future, and all these questions. And I want to invite you, this question is to ask, what is an area in your life where you're struggling to trust God right now? What is that area? You know what that area is. We all have different areas, and they change from season to season. It's not a sign of, of, of a lack of relationship or a lack of faith. It's a sign of living in a broken world. And so I want to invite you to identify that area. And then once you identify that area where you're struggling to trust God now, I want to challenge you over the next week, over the next seven days, to pray this prayer. It's a very simple prayer. God, today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, not next year, but today, I trust you with this thing I've identified in my life. Sometimes we've got to begin to pray it and to speak it before we feel it. We've got to begin to lean into it. God said, God, I'm just going to choose to trust you because I know you're my shield and I know you're my great reward. I am going to trust you. Or you might not even be there. You might say, God, I need you to help me begin to trust you. But I don't want to live in this place of not trusting you. I want to trust you more than I want the answer. God, help me to trust you. Next week, we're going to actually continue our series with a brand new story. A man named Judah, who had no business because he disqualified himself. He had no business receiving grace. And if you feel like that's you, or you know somebody who may feel that way, would you invite them next week as we continue this series, Talking About Grace. Now, each series, we like to introduce a memory verse. Well, today I've got news for you. You don't have to memorize this. It's always optional. Um, we have grace when it comes to our memory verses. But today, for the first time, it's not a memory verse. It's memory verses, okay? So I know you are excited. Hey, you guys have graduated to receive two verses this time. So it's going to be actually Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And so we want to put that on the screen. I want you to say this out loud with me. And this is actually going to show both the dark sky and the bright stars of grace. Would you say this with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 23 through 24. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are, and that though you could have abandoned us, ignored us, or destroyed us, you're madly in love with us. Father, as we recognize our own brokenness, our own propensity toward self-focus, self-selfishness, God, we just thank you. Though we don't deserve it, we crave your grace more than anything. God, help me, help all of us to lean into trusting you and accept your invitation toward grace. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.